0: Hey there, teachers, and welcome to LitPro, the podcast for high school English teachers in Northside ISD right here in San Antonio, Texas. I'm your host, Barbara Bloomingdale, Academic Technology IST for High School ELA. In each episode, we are going to delve into the concepts and skills your students will explore in your courses. We will share lesson ideas and best practices for each unit, and we will talk with teachers from Northside campuses about what works best in their classrooms. Hey Valerie, thanks so much for talking with us about your classes today. No problem, of course. So I know this year has been a really difficult year for everyone when, you know, just like we were talking with Emily Eskridge the other day about her classes and we all felt like we were coming back and transitioning into a more normal year, but that really hasn't been true, I think for anyone. I would agree. Yeah. What, what are you noticing about your kids this year that you that's sort of different from what you've seen in the past?
1: I think I have a unique perspective. So I have seniors and I have sophomores. My seniors, I had a sophomore. So I individually, I'm able to see what their behavior was sophomore year. And coming back in, one thing I noticed about my seniors is that they're a lot older, they're in bigger bodies, but a lot of their behavior is the same. Of course, they're slightly more comfortable, respectful, because they know me, but wow. they have a lot of same mannerisms from sophomore year. And my sophomores, you could kind of see that they are not like normal sophomores. They act a little bit more childish, what I noticed some of my, um, I guess, middle school-aged family members to act like. So it was, <laughs> a, little, it was a little shift. That's a
0: huge <laughs> advantage, the fact that you knew them as 10th graders and you're seeing them again because you really have that you, like you said that unique perspective on who they were and yeah we would expect for them to come back two years later and be not totally different people but to be more mature i mean you usually our seniors they've been they've been at it for 12 years they know the drill they know what's expected of them and they're usually the ones that we turn to to show the underclassmen how it's supposed to be right
1: yeah, exactly. I've been in a situation before where my seniors come back to me that I had sophomore year. And there's always a big change. And I always comment on that. And it's something I noticed that wasn't as uh, defined this year.
2: Yes. I walked into uh, <laughs> Valerie's class a little bit late that day. Um, and I knew I was going to see an AP English 4 class and an English 2 class. But when I walked in, the behavior I saw, I thought, I was like, all right, English 2. And actually, Connie was with me, and I turned to her and I was like, "This is English two, right?" She goes, "No, oh, this is AP seniors." And I was like, "What?" And I looked around the room and I was like, "Okay." Even though they're a little chatty, they're a little chattier, and they're a little bit more, you know, squirmish in their seats. Everyone in here, all the guys had beards, and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> they're never they're mind. Sure. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're seniors That's for funny. sure."
0: So, how did you decide to adapt your usual lesson flow? Because you're an experienced teacher, you've been at this for a while. How did you decide to adapt what you usually do for this particular batch of students?
1: I will say I think it took me failing a few times. So I think I started the year off teaching my seniors and the way I start off seniors to uh, my lessons to flow and then the same with sophomores, but it didn't work. I had a lot of kids who weren't keeping up with the activities. Um, Their attention span wasn't there. It was not the intellect. It was more the attention span. And I started with the seniors, and I was like, "Well, let me just revert back to how I treated them sophomore year. Wow. wasn't treating them like babies, but a lot more of that structure that I'm not used to for the seniors. I reverted back to that, and when it worked for the seniors, the sophomores that kind of clued me in that they probably need a lot more structure than I've ever thought before. Which that was the thing that made me sit down and think because like my experience goes from like sophomore to senior. I don't have as much with freshmen, so it put me back to the drawing board.
0: When you say structure, what do you mean?
1: Structure. So typically seniors, I could go through a direct teach. I could give them independent work time. And then I will do like a moment where I check in with all of them, clarify some things, and then they could push back to independent time. But the independent time ends up being a lot longer where they don't have people guiding them like, okay, move on to the next section, move on to the next section. That's what I do for sophomores. Um, normally that's fine with seniors, but this year wasn't working. So mm-hmm. I started prompting them like, okay, we're on this section. Let's work a little bit. And then we group together and then push them back to more independent time. Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody stop and let's do right. Let's all transition in a way that's, I don't want to say purposeful, but let's all be conscious of our transition. Let's all do this together.
1: Yes, I will agree. Exactly. Um, kids usually senior year they have like a sense of time management they could do that themselves but Mm -hmm. it's not as prominent this year you could Mm -hmm. see that shift and for the sophomores they needed a lot more than that
2: i would agree i you know i saw uh, valerie be really direct about okay we're going to go back to this rubric now and highlight with her seniors and um the other thing I noticed, it's interesting that you've had these kids before, because I tell—I could tell you had a relationship with them, but um, and they were working really well with each other in groups, but a lot of the groups were afraid to kind of share out in front of their other peers, mm-hmm. which to me was interesting, because seniors to me are a little bit more confident, usually a little bit more willing to share out, and I don't know, I, it felt like kind of w- back to watching a, a Zoom lesson where it was crickets, like if I couldn't send it directly in a chat to my teacher... I didn't really feel confident sharing it in front of everyone else. Do you feel like that little bit has been lost? um, Some of that share out and that eagerness?
1: Yes, I will say I agree. I think it is very definite in with the seniors because they usually, when they're in person, they go through junior year, especially if they're AP and they get a lot of that argument, that rhetoric, they get a chance to get comfortable speaking. And I felt like a lot of them missed out on that. So we're building their speaking skills that should have been built last year and so they're comfortable with me to call me over and tell me their opinion but it's not as outwardly as I'm used to
0: yeah yeah i need you to say that for everybody right don't yeah. just whisper it to me yeah. over here at yeah. your desk absolutely yeah
2: definitely you were you were working the room hard you were all over the place but then when it came to whole group it was like you ha- you had to be the one to say hey i heard this great this great idea this great point so yeah that was interesting
1: that is also very typical of them. You have your few key people who will speak out loud, but even them, some of them were a lot more quiet than I'm used to in general from what I've known in the past.
2: Kind of back to the point you made earlier, valerie about um, about really having to guide your students and then especially English too i you know we were really interested in that lesson because that is a a class where students um, did not pass English one. And so they're in there to gain back some of that English one credit through a credit retrieval situation. So um, we were a little nervous (laughs) going into this year, you know, what, what kind of um, behaviors would they have both academically and socially, you know, are they going to be way behind? Um, And what I saw was, you know, most of them were keeping up with the, the academic content and you were going over claims and how they were supporting the claims. You know, it, it wasn't fluffy stuff. This was some high level English content. They were doing fine on that. What they really needed was just like to be told, okay, we're going to do this right now. And then kind of when you saw them get a little squirrely, okay, this is the next thing we're doing and kind of just keep doing that over and over again. So can you talk about that lesson a little bit and, and to remind you if, if, uh, you, you talked about, um, it was an argument lesson, and it was over um, whether or not it's a good idea to stand for the pledge or, or kneel or sit, and you had a for and against article that you read. It. So you covered, for those watching or listening, you covered two articles in this time and multiple choice and still, um, and then some really organic questions about claims and appeals and things like that. You covered so much content in this class period. Um, it was actually pretty incredible how much you were able to get done in, in 45 minutes. So. I guess just talk about that kind of rapid fire movement with these kids that you kind of had to, to go through to, to have a successful lesson where they stayed engaged.
1: I think that's something that I did notice that a lot of them, if I didn't provide a like continuous flow of things, I would lose them. Uh, normally with sophomores they get a lot of structure. I could kind of guide them through the lesson, the teaching and then give them a small amount of independent time. But I realized this year that's kind of non-existent. They know the content enough. They, I could tell just by their responses here and there. But if I didn't even structure their independent time, I would lose them. So that's kind of what got me to do a lot more frequent lessons where they come in and there's something. It's kind of to anticipate like their squirrely moments. So when I picked this article, I knew it was a lot of reading. I knew they're going to go through skills they've covered before. They've proved to me that they know how to do it. But getting them to demonstrate was going to require me guiding them through almost every single question, and so yep. that's what got me to like, okay, I need to plan something for every second, and it, it works most of the time. You, sometimes they're still squirrely because mm-hmm. they they have so much energy and they need a lot of tension outside of the academics. What I noticed,
2: I. You know, I appreciate you saying that because you you scaffolded the the process, I mean, the product. Sorry, the process, but not the product. Like, you're still expecting them to deliver these Mm high-level answers, even though you know that they um, did not have successful grades in English Mm -hmm. 1. But you were like, "Uh, no, you know this content. So you respected them where they were at Mm -hmm. and said, I know you know this content. That's not what you need necessarily. What you need is me to you know scaffold how long you're doing it and how you're doing it. And one of the other things you did, you know, it was a pretty squirrely class, but, but you weren't afraid to embrace like good teaching. So the first thing you had them do is do a quick post-it response to something and then get up and put it on the, on the wall. And a lot of teachers, if they have squirrely students, you know, even myself included back in the day, like, okay, if you're squirrely, I'm not letting you get out of your seat. And you're like, (laughs) nope, nope. Squirrely kids actually need to get out of their seats. So I'm going to get you up and moving. And so I thought that was, um, a risk that you took that, that worked out really well.
1: I think that's something that I think I learned early on, not just with this class, but like previous classes, my squirrely kids, if I get them to move, they're a lot less likely to interrupt me as often They're They will always interrupt. I think it's their nature. um, And they kind of like need to work through that. But uh, that's why I kind of plan some of those things, get them moving. Um, I've had other lessons where they do the similar skills, but they have a moving around the room. And for some reason that burns the energy that would have come across as like an interruption for the lesson. And so it helps especially for those kiddos. And then we have a small class, so it kind of worked in our favor. And it was little things
0: too, right? So get up and go put your post-it on the door or now go get your writer's notebook or put your notebook away or... And I'm with Tony, you know, in a normal year, we, we would have tried to streamline those processes So that kids don't have as much chance to get up out of their desk and go bother their neighbor or go mess around in the corner or, but this is a year when kids need that movement. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm with Tony too. I'm starting to think I was doing it wrong all these years. I needed to give my kids that, even if it was just a two minute state change, that quick moment of movement so that they can break that, you know, they can enter that state in their brain so they can have that shift. And then be more ready to connect and to engage and concentrate even longer.
1: I agree with that. I think I accepted that these kids will probably interrupt. And so I think there's a moment that I reflected back either they could interrupt in their own time or mm-hmm. I could unknowingly schedule moments where it's a little okay for the interrupt because they are already walking around and That's they feel smart. like it's de- they're in control, but it's really like I plan this time. I know y'all are going to say <laughs> or do movements during this time. So it's planned and it doesn't throw off our lesson as much. And I do notice that in the days I don't schedule as much of these breaks that the interruptions are very sporadic as opposed to when it's more controlled. Mm-hmm.
0: And you have a lot. Because you, okay, so we map, we've created that graphic map of your lesson, and you had eight different activities or eight different transitions from the opening to direct teach to student-centered time, direct teach, student-centered time, direct teach, the assessment, the debrief end. That's a lot of transitions in a, in a lesson, you know, in just a 50-minute lesson.
1: It is. And I will say it's exhausting to plan that. So it's not achievable every day. I don't always achieve it. I think I try to at least get to six, especially when I'm trying to teach them a new concept, but it is helpful. It's useful. It requires me kind of to be around them, but I also get the most out of them. I think if I didn't do that with this year specifically, I probably would not be able to gauge whether they are on track for mastery, the ones that are getting it or not. And the schedule breaks really, it helps them stay in focus, but it helps me understand where they're at, especially for my kiddos who might not always be keen to like writing everything down. It allows me to like hear every kind of like skill. So from like the skill for claim because we stop and we pause and we have a transition, I'm able to gauge that. And then when we move on to the next one, it allows me to gauge every single skill that we're working on.
2: Two more, um, one very subtle teacher move, but a couple of the teacher moves that I want to talk about was um, you had a student who, when you were debriefing, I could tell he was getting anxious about how many questions he was getting right and wrong. And, uh, And you could tell he was kind of I don't know. I was worried he was going to zone out, like just be like, you know, put my head down. I'm over this. And you walked over him and you asked him a question, a personal question, something about his family. And he answered the question and you immediately were able to get him back on task. And it was, you know, it was a small thing. And, and I don't know how many teachers would in that moment, like think of that as another state change. Like I'm going to clear your head of what's bothering you. Talk about something that's important to you. And then we'll get back to the lesson. So I thought that was a, a a smart move, especially with, uh, A population of students who weren't successful in English last year and I would guess probably have uh if you look at all their grades probably weren't you know have always struggled with English or just not been excited about the subject and you were able to get them back on track pretty quickly.
1: Yeah I think it took paying attention because in that class you have personalities that they are fine with the competition like oh I got it wrong okay next time that they're feeding off that competition but there's others that are deflated I think he was one of those kiddos and uh, usually just getting him talking helps him not check out because he he has checked out before when he feels like he's failing um, yeah he feels like his language skills is a lot lower than the other kids but that's just because they're more talkative so when you get him to talk he goes like oh okay I could talk I know how to do mm. this and it was a good like shift for him
2: and then the, the last thing I noticed was a cell phone thing, and that came up actually yesterday in our coordinator meetings where, you know, teachers who before were able to have kids keep their cell phones away or out of sight for the whole class period or keep their earphones out the whole time are now like, this is a, a new battle for them. And, you know, you you had kids who had their cell phones out, but you were able to redirect them in a way that it, it, you got the learning done and it was never, you know, you never, um, kind of heighten the situation mm-hmm. by trying to take it away from them or like put it down right now. None mm-hmm. of that, you know, you, you were working with them and it was a, it was a give and take. It was a delicate dance, <laughs> yeah. but you were able to manage that and still have, I think a really successful classroom, even though, um, you know, the cell phones were out. Cause mm-hmm. as, as we know, when you had your cell phone with you 24 seven in the pandemic, working from home, yeah. like all of that cell phone need to have it around. You just kind of went to another level. Right.
0: Right. And and Tony and I can attest it, you know, here at the office, we see adults walk into a professional meeting with the boss and I've got my laptop, but we've also got our phones next to us. And we might be messaging uh, a colleague on Hangouts. We might be answering a question from a teacher on email, but adults are doing it too. And so I think there's a real tendency for us to tisk tisk at kids. But to Tony's point, I think it's something that we've all sort of learned to rely on during, during distance learning. And it's hard for adults and for kids to put that away.
1: I agree. And I think I've seen that in my policy before has never been like fully away. A lot of independent time when they proven that they could work with it, they're allowed it to be out to listen to music. So I think that kind of helped. I wasn't super strict before, um, but I do notice it's that dance, like Tony said, that where, I see that they're out. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to make it a huge thing where that becomes a center of tension. It's just like, hey, put it down for a second. We're looking at this. And it's a little bit of a constant reminder, but it doesn't make the battle about the cell phones. It's like, hey, I need you to look at this instead.
2: You mentioned... Um I think this is my last question, Barbara, but I'm not sure. Yeah. You mentioned that, uh, mm-hmm. that you know, it's a, it's exhausting to do this every day and have six different yeah. things they're doing. Or like I said, the time we came in, Connie and I was eight. Um, mm-hmm. Do you anticipate having to do that all year? Do you think you'll be able to wean them down into a, a more typical class? You know, I, I think we most of the time a teacher kind of does a, mm-hmm. a five, ten minute opening, then they do some direct mm-hmm. teach, then it's ex- independent work time, and you're kind of with the kids, but you're still giving them a lot more work time, and then you kind of close up. Do you think you're going to get more to that at the end of the year, or do you feel like you're just going to have to kind of keep doing these six to eight different uh, state changes every every time you have a lesson?
1: Honestly, I'm not exactly sure. I see faster improvement in their ability to like work independently with the seniors, and I think I test to like their age, and they probably have the reality check of life coming. Uh, My sophomores, there's not been a shift where they don't need it. It's when I don't plan those shift changes, I lose them a little bit more. As opposed to seniors, I've been able to plan quite a few lessons where they have a lot more independent time and they've been on the ball. So I think the older kids will pick it up a lot faster. But freshmen, sophomore year kiddos or maybe kiddos that are a little bit more behind academically that they feel a little bit weak, they're going to take a lot more of that shift change to one, boost their confidence, but also boost like their, I don't want to say social skills, but I guess learning skills of how to be in a learning environment and actually transition in that time management.
0: Yeah. And I think that makes perfect sense that we would expect and see our seniors can wean off of it a lot easier. And then our younger kids, our ninth and 10th graders. And I think this is good advice for our middle school um, colleagues as well, but those Ninth and 10th graders are going to need a lot more structure and a lot more purposeful transition in order to make their lessons work. I love that you said a minute ago, you know, I've I've succeeded, but I've also failed a lot. And it's those times when I pull back too much, when I don't have enough switch and transition and mental change where I feel like my lesson starts to, you know, I start to lose my kids and they're not as focused and engaged.
1: Yeah, I, I learned from my mistakes and I'm also like, okay, that they happen. They still will happen. That's the biggest thing I'm trying to give my gra- self-grace on, especially when we start moving to different content to so mm-hmm. be okay with it failing and then just picking up and trying again.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for talking with us, Valerie. This was a great conversation. We always love hearing about you and your kids. Of course. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording. Valerie, thank you for doing this. Of course. (laughs)